welcome back to another episode of Glass Gallus, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids for our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I promise I won't reference any more Fallout music. <laughs> With me is... I'm your co-host, Lindsay, and I have broken my ankle sitting down. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Sarah, and I'm currently recording in a room filled with hundreds of fake teeth. Wait, Sarah, I love teeth. Oh, I thought you freaked out. No, of course you love teeth. I thought you collected people's wisdom teeth. Past tense. I still do. <laughs> Hello, audience. If you have wisdom teeth that you would like to get rid of, please mail me. I love teeth. <laughs> You would love this room. Wait, yeah, pause. Okay, hang on. Why is it? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting next to uh, my partner's parents were dentists <gasps> uh, for so many years and dentist lecturers. So they taught dentistry and there's a heap of fake teeth molds like to teach how to do implants and things just next to me. In the oh office. my fucking God. Do you know how expensive those are? I can send you photos. I'll, I'll send you a, a quick. Oh my God, please. <laughs> I receive packages of this nature just at random. I have I have received like unsolicited molds of people's teeth before. I was going to say I am sitting beneath a hand painted mandible. <laughs> like my house is very teeth oriented. Oh my god, Sarah, your photo just came through and First of all, I will reiterate, do you know how fucking expensive those are? But also, like, what a beautiful room. Anyway, hello, hello, audience. <laughs> Whoa. Welcome. <laughs> this is the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes. We let our freak flag fly and we set sail all across the internet of Wikipedia or not, if we go really deep into the lore. And uh, we all start on the same wiki page every week. We click around. And whatever we find that we cannot stop reading, we share with you and with each other. This week, we started on Blizzard, the company. Yeah. Just got bought by Microsoft. You can guess who's, whose choice that was. <laughs> <laughs> Where did everybody end up? Well, I ended up on the Wikipedia page for multiplayer online battle arenas or MOBAs. How many clicks did you do? Like three. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you didn't get very far. I didn't get very far, <laughs> wow. but, but awesome. Um, okay, so I landed on Miraculous Rabbit Birth by Human. What? Excuse I me? Have, I've summarized it a little bit, not to give away any punchlines, but holy shit, <laughs> you guys are going to love this story. Well, I ended up in levies. Levies? Like you pay a levy? No. And also not like, you know, drove my Chevy to the levy and the levy was dry. Not that either. Oh. I forgot about that song and the fact that a levee was like a creek. No. I don't even know what that is, but this is not that either. Doesn't doesn't (laughs) matter. It's not that. Cool. But I can't tell you what it is because I would give it away. Give it away. And first we've got to do question of the week. (laughs) So this week's question is a Lindsay special and it was what online or magazine quiz have you done and the result has just stuck with you or haunted you for your life? Lindsay, I'm going to let you go first. Well, to appreciate why this stuck with me, I think you have to know a little (laughs) bit about what little young Lindsay, high school Lindsay is like. This is a quiz that I took um, on my friend's laptop in high school. So I was tragically, tragically um, goody two shoes 
um, always sat in the front of the classroom with my like hands crossed on my desk, always just really eager to do homework and participate. Um, never wore makeup, like never like really did anything extraordinary or fun or dangerous. And I didn't even this sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us now. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, that's why we're fucked up now. (laughs) Um, And I didn't even, I didn't even say swear words until I was about 16. So um, I was very, very goody to child. I was very prude. I hated uh, when people would make like sex jokes around me. Very just uptight. Anyway, so my friends were all taking a quiz. What drug are you? You know, edgy and cool. And so they were getting like heroin, cocaine, like poppers, like all kinds of like fun stuff. And there would be this like elaborate description of what it means about your personality and your spontaneity. And they thought it'd be hilarious if I took the quiz so they could tease me endlessly about it. Like, oh, Lindsay was was this kind of drug. Well, I took the quiz and what came up was a picture of a cereal box. And it said, life. You don't need drugs. You're high on life. And everyone was like, you fucking broke the quiz. (laughs) (laughs) I was too innocent for the drug quiz. That's what I feel like I failed a BuzzFeed quiz. That's yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. I think that is so sweet and so pure. (laughs) Man. I really thought you were going to get, like, black tar heroin. I know. <laughs> That's what they all wanted me to get so they could be like, oh, badass Lindsay, black tar heroin. Bad- oh. <laughs> no, no. I'm no, I'm no drugs. High on life. High on life. Okay. Wow. Okay. What about Drew? So. Uh, I feel like this is going to tell us a lot. Is it? Because <laughs> I, I very, very, very rarely take any kind of internet quizzes because I don't not a big fan of them but you already know everything about yourself yeah i know sorry (laughs) but (laughs) the one that i actually took that like meant something to me i know this is kind of a cop-out but the myers-briggs test you know the the myers-briggs quiz um, absolutely i'm an isfj uh if anyone's wondering that's on my dating profile so all you ladies you know (laughs) 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 uh but um, that actually, like, when it described what that meant to me, I was like, it, it kind of labeled everything that I do perfectly. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, it like knows me so well. I know the Myers-Briggs isn't like, you know, actual science, but you know, it, it's still, it's just like, it was kind of cool having something be like, this is like what you're like. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm like. And it was just really yeah. cool to me. I like that. That is really nice. You understand yourself. Yeah, it was really nice, and uh, it's it's uh, it's definitely something. Definitely something. Now, uh, Sarah, what do you? What's your quiz? What do you do? Okay, okay. So, uh, I can't really remember any from when I was younger. I used to do the magazine ones all the time um, until I realized that, like, they're totally rigged. Um, like the ones where you would follow with your finger and then I realized that like you could never get a certain answer you just never landed there properly and I, I remember being very oh. um, but like so I remember actually only a few months ago uh, TikTok I think has diagnosed me with like ADHD or ADD I, I see a lot of content about 
like how it expresses itself in, in women. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have, this is how my brain functions. And so I did an online quiz a few, like not an online quiz, but like a symptom checker. Okay. For like, tell us how you work and we'll tell you, you know, should you go and get a specialist opinion about um, if you have like an attention deficit disorder. Uh, and it came back with, yep, like you, you do a lot of these things. You should go talk to a doctor. And I'm like, oh my God, I think that made a lot of sense <laughs> to me because I just thought my brain worked. Like, like I thought everybody could do like multiple things at multiple times and it was only the last couple of years that I realized chatting to friends and colleagues that like the way I work is very different to the way everyone else works. So I thought that was a big one. Yeah. Did you follow up? Uh, I haven't yet. I've got an appointment in a couple of weeks to be like, can I uh, be less distracted? Um, so hopefully, but the uh, quiz, so I was like, oh, well, that's not a fun one. So I was doing Buzzfeed quizzes last night to try get a good answer for you guys. And mm-hmm. I took one that was like, oh, you know, pick pick your wedding dresses and we'll give you what type of aesthetic you are. Ooh. And I thought, okay, I Ooh. love wedding dresses. Give me my vibe. And I'm thinking I'm going to get like whimsical fairy or like dark academia type vibe. Uh, no, yeah. it told me I was cottage core and that I was a basic bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh no and i was i was very offended um but that that's it that's just the truth like that's just the science you cannot sorry i can't go against the quiz yeah that's just what it says yeah it's like you're probably yeah the quiz is like you're probably into horses i'm like i don't like horses yeah but now you are don't understand now you are sarah yeah now you are yep it's who i am now uh, but I would love to hear what the audience gets on random internet magazine quizzes. Please tell us. Uh, Lindsay, spruik the Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Please come come join us on Go Ask Alice Pod. Okay, go Ask Alice Pod on Twitter or Go Ask Alice Podcast on Instagram. Correct. Yeah. Tell us what kind of um, hilarious or just completely wrong or maybe even really helpful quizzes you've taken. Bonus points if you link it. I think that would be kind of fun to to compare results um but yeah i am uh decidedly curious what everybody's uh Myers yeah there you are. go and if you link the if you link the quiz i'll take it just for oh you. drew will take it <laughs> i'll take it even though i hate them <laughs> ah drew love oh, yeah so where do we want to start well i cannot for the life of me think of a thread that connects all of our stuff other than Blizzard Entertainment. I I went down a wild rabbit hole to get to mine. I was all over the shop. I went like through um, Masonic temples, through cults again. I don't know how I ended up there again, but I went through them. Um, I went through Mike Pence, for God's sake. Somehow I (laughs) went through his page. I scream laughed when you texted us that. (laughs) (laughs) I clicked on that and I was like, nope, out of here we go. Um, But yeah, what about you guys? So Drew, you got to yours real quick. Do you want to do you want to do yours? Okay, sure. Ooh, maybe we could do it. Wait a minute. What if we did it in degrees from the original topic? Yeah, degrees of freedom. (laughs) So yes. So so Drew I don't think that's what degrees of freedom means. <laughs> 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 I'm a shit scientist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
degrees of separation (laughs) that's what oh my god that's what i was thinking of yes oh my god can you just cancel me why don't we do because i think i took between three and a million clicks so maybe we could do drew me sarah does that sound good sounds good to me it sounds good okay uh and you're gonna absolutely poo your pants when you hear my topic it is absolutely insane so everybody you have to keep keep on i thought you were gonna say keep your poo until <laughs> keep your poo no, until you're no no keep your pants on just everybody just get very prepared and excited to end the episode so you you stayed in the game gaming realm. i did i did because i'm a I'm a child and I like video games. You're not a child. Yeah, that's not what your quiz said. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a child. <laughs> you're a child. That's what mine said. <laughs> we, we can't legally assign you drugs, you fucking infant. <laughs> you infant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So MOBAs, 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 multiplayer online battle arenas, um, I'm going to call them MOBAs from now on because it's way easier to say than the multiplayer online ballerina. Is is that what cool people call it? Like if I say that at like an E3 conference, everyone's going to just like pass me by. They know. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah, you're good. They'd be like, they'd okay. give you the chef's kiss like, mm, you said MOBA. MOBA. I know that. <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And I've also come to realize that I'm going to use a ton of gaming jargon just like throughout this entire thing so if at any point you're like what the fuck does that mean just stop me and i'll happily explain it just to the best of my ability so you know whenever whenever i say something you'd be like oh drew what's that i'll i'll let you know i don't know how familiar you are with mobas um but they are very super popular and make up a huge portion of the esports both in the sense of views and monetary prizes where like the biggest monetary prize was about 60 million dollars um for an just for the winner um, which is is that League of Legends? Yes, actually, League of Legends is a MOBA. Yes. Ah, yes. Okay, <gasps> cool. I am familiar. Yeah, you got it. Thank um, you. Thank nice you. job, Sarah. <laughs> Take my medal now. Fucking gamer girl. <laughs> no, this is all thanks to my old housemate Adam, who is so into League, League of Legends. Legends. Yep. And would watch the the esports. Yep. We, uh, my college housemates and I would all watch the, uh, the esports on our big TV and then scream about it like it was actual sports. But that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's so pure. Yep. Um, but basically, wow. if you play video games in any capacity, you've likely bumped against a MOBA at some point because they're just so omnipresent at this point. Um, but if you're unfamiliar with MOBAs, let me explain them a little bit. So a MOBA is a subgenre of strategy games from an isometric perspective. So that's a top-down perspective. So you're like, you're viewing the battlefield from the top. You're not like first person Mm. or third person. It's from the top. Um, With the basic premise being that you've got two teams of players who each individually control a single single character and they compete against each other on a predefined battlefield. So each character that is controlled by the players have distinct attributes and these abilities will generally improve throughout the course of the game. So typically each character has four abilities that are specific to that character, and they can range from healing teammates to dealing damage to enemy units to inflicting what's called crowd control. So I'm just going to define that because I have a feeling you don't know (laughs) what crowd control is. That is a correct feeling, Drew. So um, crowd control involves effects such as stuns, roots, silences, or basically any disabling effect that you can inflict on on enemy characters. Now what's a stun? What's a root? What's a silence? 
Um, so a, a stun is an ability that causes the enemy unit to be unable to move and unable to cast any of their abilities. A root is an ability that causes the enemies to be unable to move, but they're still able to cast abilities, except for movement abilities, of course. And then a silence That's is... not what I thought a root was. What'd you think? <laughs> Go on. What did you think? What did you think, Sarah? <laughs> no, no. Come on. This is a safe place. I'll, I'll shut off my microphone if I laugh. I don't know. I thought it was like when you teabag a character, because I see that. Oh my <laughs> see that when Simon plays games. Oh my god. Every now and again he does it to make me giggle because I'll look over and he'll do it and I'll giggle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I thought this was not the Alice After Dark episode. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, you guys. We can't just go from an episode that says piss, haha, and now into this shit where we're just like talking, just flailing our genitals um, in video games. <laughs> This is. <laughs> I'm not flailing my genitals. Teabang is a form of toxicity, which we'll talk about. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, great, cool, cool, excellent. Cool. So, a silence um, is an ability that causes the enemy to be able to move, but they're unable to cast abilities for a time. So that's those are the basics of C, of crowd control. Anyway, there's tons of different abilities that characters can have. It's that's the whole point of a MOBA is each character has four abilities and they can you know use those abilities uh, after a cooldown where they can't use it for a period. It's very confusing, but also, you know, very complex, and it's great. Anyway, <laughs> so the ultimate objective of a MOBA tends to be, and I say tends to be because there's a few MOBAs that this doesn't apply, so it tends to be to destroy the opponent's main structure, which is located on opposing sides of the battlefield. So let me send you what a battlefield actually looks like so that you can get an idea. Oh, wow, this is very broken. This is very generalized. It's yes, nice. it's very generalized. It's not. This isn't for a specific game. Are you going to describe it? Yes, I will. I, I'll okay. describe it in the, the gameplay section. So the premise itself is very easy, but the actual gameplay of MOBAs is extremely complex and is very skill-based. So now let's move into the typical gameplay that I touched on a little bit. And so I sent you the what a MOBA map looks like. So the typical game starts with 10 players with five on each team. And as I said, these players are aiming to destroy the opposing team's main structure, but how is that achieved? So you can see the main structures, uh, like Team Base 2 and Team Base 1, those are the main structures, and then you have these individual lanes that the, uh, the characters basically move down, almost. Can you um, think of it a bit like Capture the Flag, like you're trying to take their bases? Um... Or is that different? You're trying to destroy their bases on the way to okay. destroying their main base. I don't think you oh, do okay. that in Capture the Flag. <laughs> I've, um, disclaim. oh, I was just going to say disclaimer, I've never played Capture the Flag. I've oh. just seen it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Capture the Flag's a little different. <laughs> okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. But we're, we're trying to get to the enemies. Base. Yes, exactly. So uh, typically these these maps have three lanes, as you see. You've got top, mm -hmm. bottom, and middle, um, which are pretty self-explanatory. Stay in your lane. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very apt here. Very apt. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So with these lanes, <laughs> um, they all have, so those little blue dots or blue or red dots, those are computer-controlled mm -hmm. towers, and those towers can do quite a bit of damage to your hero. Um, if you walk up to them, so you don't tend to walk up to them alone. Um, it's you tend to go with what are called creep waves. Um, so basically, what a creep wave is is um, there are waves of minions that are that spawn from the main base, and they progress down the lane in a in a very um, specific path. 
And so as they're moving down the lane, you have two opposing um, sets of creep waves coming at each other and they meet in the middle and fight each other. And so if basically if you just left them to their own devices, they would just be fighting in the middle and doing not much. So what happens is if, if you know, as a character, what you do is you push with the, uh, these lanes, um, the, term, the term is push, um, because what's happening is if you were to attack these minions with your character, you're doing more damage than the minions would do themselves, and you start moving the wave further and further and further back until you get to a tower. And so mm. when you get to the tower, that's when you start doing some damage to the tower itself, because the tower attacks minions, it, pr it prioritizes attacking minions over attacking heroes, and so you're able to do damage to the tower. So that's kind of like how the game progresses a little bit. Do, do you get that? It's, it's a little... It's a little bit complex. No, I think it, it generally makes sense that you've got a tower somewhere and on the opposite side of your uh, game, there is your enemy's tower and you've got three different routes you can take to get there. And along the way, there are obstacles and traps that are absolutely trying to kill you while you make your way over to the castle yes. that's being defended or base. Yes. And when when you're pushing, when you're pushing a lane, the enemy doesn't tend to let you push freely. So it's a lot of, um, you know, you'll be pushing at one point, you'll be defending at other points. So it's a lot of back and forth between in a, in a match, typically. Kind of like war. Exactly. You, you'll go back and forth a little bit. It, it's not, it's not a, a linear path directly to their base. It's, you know, you'll be pushing sometimes, they'll be pushing sometimes. So it heavily depends on, on what's happening in the game as to where you are. So now we move on to sections of the map that are not part of the lanes, and these are known as the jungle. So um, it's highlighted in green on the image that I, said, that I sent you. So you can see team one, top jungle, bottom jungle. So basically the jungle is inhabited by neutral minions that can be killed for both experience and gold. And uh, those are the two currencies that are typically in a MOBA. So experience lets you level up, of course, and get stronger, while gold lets you buy items that help you get stronger in specific ways. So as a side note, you also gain experience in gold from killing minions in lane and killing enemy heroes, with enemy heroes being the biggest reward for you know, XP and gold. So the jungle is not the only way you can get these two currencies, but it's, it's a very good way if your character is designed to do that. So anyway, uh, defeating the neutral minions in the jungle can also have a ton of different effects depending on what game you're playing, where sometimes they'll give you buffs, um, sometimes they'll help you push the lane. So jungle can be super important. So let's talk a little bit more about the heroes in general. So the heroes typically, and I'm going to say typically like a thousand times here because <laughs> there's so many different kinds of MOBAs that like the typical one is what I'm talking about. Um, so... Heroes typically fall into specific roles within the team composition. So these roles are such as like tank, damage dealer, and support. So all of which have their own strengths and weaknesses. And MOBAs tend to have tons of characters to choose from, with League of Legends having more than 150 characters, which is just nuts. That's like a ton of fucking characters to deal with. It's a <laughs> lot. <laughs> so not only do you need to understand your character's strengths and weaknesses, but you need to know all the other characters' strengths and weaknesses to actually play it at like a reasonable level is you have to know like how do I attack this one person that they picked out of this 150 like it's it's a lot of knowledge that you just have to have at a base level to really play well in these games and then not only that but you also have to know all the items that you can purchase during the game so in League of Legends there are over 175 unique items that you can purchase that you have to keep track of so not only 150 characters but 175 unique items that 
like help your characters. And so you have to keep track of both of those during that entire period. Oh, and it just becomes a huge mess because it's just so much to keep track of. I could not keep track of that. No way. That's too many things to hold in your brain at once. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of pure memory. And it, uh, it, honestly, it comes down to a lot of experience where you just have to be thrown into a game and, and experience what, you know, what the character does and, and what the item does. It's a lot of just pure experience, which is why I have like days in my favorite MOBA, like days of hours played in my, in my favorite MOBA, because <laughs> it's just like, that's just what you got to do. Um, but anyway, so each character is deliberately limited in the role that they can fill so that no hero typically is able to be powerful enough to just to win the game without support of their team. So mechanical skill, memorization, and cooperation are all necessary to effectively win games. So you need all three of those things to kind of come together to, to really make a game good or, you know, play well. And that's um, a lot of where the toxicity in, in these kind of games comes in. Uh, because these games are notoriously very, very toxic, especially League. League is very, very toxic. And I apologize to any League players, but you know, you know it now. You know. They know. They, they know. know. They know. <laughs> but um, it's kind of, you know. if one person messes up like once, you get, you're, you're at an XP deficit at that point, And that puts you behind. And then you just get more behind and more behind and more behind. So one mistake basically screws the whole entire game for you. And so, I mean, that's that's a little extreme, but also, you know, I've seen it happen where one mistake can really just like throw the entire game. So it becomes very toxic very easily when when just like one mistake is like that's the end of your game and you have to wait 45 minutes to, you know, you're, you're basically playing 45 minutes to lose. It's not fun. So that's where all the toxicity comes from is just like the, the necessity of having, you know, cooperation. It's it's <laughs> relying on people's a problem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> No, I can't relate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say there are, of course, guides within the games about specific items, about specific items that you can buy and descriptions of characters. So you don't completely go in blind when you, uh, you know, when you're facing a new character. But as I said, you just have to play a ton just to get familiar with all the characters. And, you know, as the game progresses, each team gets stronger. So uh, typically the experience is gained individually. So there are many, um, so there may be slight disparity in levels on teams, uh, but this is to be expected for each of the roles. Like a damage dealer is more likely to be a higher level than a tank or support because uh, they are the ones doing the killing of enemy heroes, which have massive rewards and experience in gold. So basically when you're playing these kind of games, you end up having a lot of, uh, a lot of different level disparities between characters and it's another f source of toxicity is like you're not doing your role enough and that's kind of a problem oh yeah <laughs> i've let so many yeah. people down this <laughs> like young me branching out into video games i've <laughs> always hated violence and so <laughs> i see the title healer and i'm like Oh my god, that sounds so just perfect. I'm going to restore balance amongst all this violence by being a ray of sunshine. You know, I am going to heal the damage that's been done. I had no idea how heavily everybody relies on healers so that they can run into the fray, fuck shit up, be reckless little shits, and then you're just there to clean it up while they're doing yeah. it. So I made a lot of enemies in a lot of games by being a really bad healer. <laughs> 
this this is me in D and D. Whenever I have healing powers, I completely forget it, <laughs> and people are literally dying, and they're like looking at me, being like, "Can, can I get a D four, please?" Like, <laughs> please like, give oh, me D four. Yeah, I forgot that I could do that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a it's a funny thing you say that because there's a constant trope in these games of blaming the healer whenever something like something goes wrong you always blame the healer Aww. so it's 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 very funny you bring that up because i i'm also a healer i do i'm a healer main so i tend to play healer characters a lot and uh i get blamed a lot when something goes wrong let's make a healer support group here support group a support support group i feel like it's a bit like a goalie in soccer yeah like it's always the goalie's fault if they get the ball in <laughs> but really there was a lot going on for that ball to get down there in the first place yeah it, it, there's a lot of, a lot to go wrong to to have it be this last person who has to be the defense you know the defense point but yeah. A lot of people don't, that mm. takes a lot of self-reflection and a lot of people don't have that. It's just like, <laughs> oh, I wasn't healed. So that's why we failed. Like, you know, it's like, great. You're stupid. Awesome. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> these roles are super important to fill and uh, people tend to be very good with one character or a few characters. As I said, I typically play support characters because I'm a little support boy, but I have a few friends who only play characters that do damage. Uh, you know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you are steve no steve steve is a he tends to play basically everything he plays he's a flex character he plays a lot of flex what can't steve do what can't steve do that's true um <laughs> but it's all preference um what you really like depend like you're gonna pick a role that you really fit with and and tend to uh tend to work with so yeah that's all just like the basics of a MOBA. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that was very long-winded, but it's just like MOBAs are very hard to explain because they're just like so much jargon just packed into one game. But anyway, um, after, after I investigated like what a MOBA is at its core, um, I looked up a little bit of the history about it because I kind of wanted to know, to see where MOBAs came from. And so they can be tra traced back to 1989, the game Herzog Zwei, or sorry, uh, Zwei, Z-W-E-I, Zwei, Zwei, that's the one, Zwei, that's the one, Zwei. Herzog Zwei, um, Zwei, on the Sega Mega Drive, or the Sega Genesis, uh, and this game has been cited as the precursor to MOBA genre, where the uh, player controlled a single unit in one of two opposing sides of a battlefield. So then we move to 1998, where the game Future Cop LAPD featured a strategic uh, precinct assault <laughs> mode uh, in which players would actively fight alongside non-player units. And these two games have been cited as the inspiration for both Warcraft and Starcraft, as well as just MOBAs in general. And Warcraft and Starcraft, guess what? They were made by Blizzard, which is where we started. Wow. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about Blizzard a Full lot. circle. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't go very far. We just left the house and turned back around. Yeah, because <laughs> in 1998, Blizzard Entertainment, our starting location, released the now famous real-time strategy game StarCraft, which came with editing tools to design custom maps. So these, Ooh, that's very advanced yeah, for the time. Yeah, these editing tools allowed players to design non-standard rules and non-standard gameplay that could let you modify how these maps work and, and all sorts of different things about the gameplay just so that, you know, you could make your own games, which is super, super cool. Uh, became a little bit of a problem later, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> so 
A modern, a modder known as Aeon64 uh, used these tools, uh, made a game called Aeon of Strife. He used his name and he and or she used their name in the title, which is great. Anyway, um, which quickly became popular uh, with the key features of AOS or Aeon of Strife becoming the foundation for MOBAs in general. So basically AOS uh, players controlled a single powerful unit fighting against amidst three lanes. Uh, which were protected by defensive towers, which sounds like a MOBA and kind of is the whole premise of a MOBA in general. Um, but the areas outside of lanes were nearly vacant and the early version of the game, heroes didn't have any special abilities. They only spent gold on weapons and armor upgrades. So this is kind of a very boiled down MOBA um, that just like it's kind of, you see the beginnings of MOBA forming, but you, you don't see the, uh, it's not the, the final product yet. So now we move to 2002, where Blizzard again, our starting location, released the most famous, uh, the now famous, sorry, the now famous Warcraft 3, Reign of Chaos, which accompanied the Warcraft 3 world editor. So a modder named Yule uh, took Aeon of Strife and converted it into the Warcraft 3 editor, uh, calling the custom map Defenders of the Ancient, or Dota. Sorry, Defense of the Ancients, or Dota. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that's what Ancients. Dota means. Oh, Defense of the Ancients, I've heard sorry. of Dota before. Um, so they substantially improved the, compl uh, the complexity of the game, but soon left the modding community. So Yule's out. So without a clear successor to Yule, modders began to create a variety of maps based on Dota that featured different heroes. So in 2003, after the release of the Warcraft expansion, The Frozen Throne, a modder named Mian created Dota-style map that combined heroes from many other versions of Dota into a single map called Dota All-Stars. So soon after, a, a modder named Steve Feek, F-E-A-K, um, inherited Dota All-Stars, and it soon became a dominant genre, sorry, map of the genre. So after uh, more than a year of maintaining the map, Steve left the development to another modder named Nishis in 2005. So after a few weeks of development, the map was turned over to Icefrog, who immediately uh, initiated large changes to the mechanics of the game and greatly deepened its complexity and capacity for innovative gameplay. So basically, this has kind of been handed out back and forth between a bunch of modders, and uh, it ends with Icefrog, who really kind of developed Dota as like the Dota we kind of know today. So these changes were extremely well received, and it was credited that Dota provided the most significant inspiration for the MOBA genre for years to come. So Icefrog is kind of he's often, he and or she, sorry, is often cited as being the, um, I don't know, the starter of MOBAs, the, the predecessor of MOBAs, whatever it is, um, <laughs> you know. So now we move to 2008, where the popularity of Dota attracted many commercial attention. So uh, since the format was tied to Blizzard property, developers began to work on their own Dota-style games. So a Flash web game called Minions was created by Casual Collective in 2008, uh, Gas-Powered Games released the first standalone commercial title in a MOBA genre called Demigod in 2009. And in late 2009, Riot Games released a little game called League of Legends, which, <laughs> which uh, was, has become extremely popular. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming our audience has probably heard of League of Legends because it's so omnipresent. But, um, you know. So uh, Riot actually began to refer to the game genre as a MOBA formally at this time. So, the, so League of Legends was technically the first game that was referred to as a MOBA. So uh, in 2009, Icefrog was hired by Valve, the company that owned Steam, in order to design a sequel to their, to their original map. And then in 2010, S2 Games released Heroes of New Earth, 
which unfortunately completely shut down last year. Um, and that Heroes of New Earth, uh, my friends used to play that a ton. And I have never, ever seen a game that was more toxic than that. I have never seen a game. I have been called the worst things I've ever read on Heroes of New Earth because it was just so toxic. Why was it so toxic? Because it was a, um, a high, very, very high skill-based game and it was very easy to kick down oh, no. where you could just like, one, as I said, one, one mess up and the entire game was thrown for 45 minutes. And these games are long, as I said, they're like 45 minutes long. And so you're just sitting there and, and getting destroyed for 45 minutes straight. And it's very easy to become toxic at that point. So you give people a little bit of power and they just turn into monsters. I feel like that's the, the motto for the world. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So 2010, or that's where we are now. Um, Valve announced Dota 2, which I'm sure we're a little bit familiar with. That's the other big MOBA. It's Dota 2 and League are the kind of the big ones um, that are out right now. And funny enough, uh, they actually had Valve had a clash with uh, with um, Riot Games for the trademark of Dota, um, which Valve won. And in 2012, Blizzard uh, then, Activision Blizzard now, settled a trademark dispute with Valve over the usage of the Dota name and announced their own MOBA, Heroes of the Storm, or HOTS, my personal favorite MOBA, in uh, that year. So Dota 2 was released in 2013, and then in 2014, Hi-Rez Studios released Smite, which is a MOBA with a third-person perspective, which is very neat. It's actually all based on gods. Um, gods and, and different um, gods of different cultures, and they all fight each other. It's great. Anyway, so HOTS was released in 20, 2015, and that's kind of like the most modern MOBAs that we have now. Um, so soon after, the market for MOBAs was completely saturated, as every company was trying to jump on the MOBA train and release their own take on the genre. So EA, Warner Brothers, and even Epic Games tried to release MOBAs that never really took off, and shortly after release, the servers were shut down. Which is unfortunate, because I really like the, the Epic Games uh, MOBA, which is fun, but... It's gone now. But anyway, there is actually hope in the genre with Pokemon releasing a MOBA in uh, 2021 called Pokemon Unite, which is much more kid-friendly MOBA, but um, <laughs> when you play Wait, it- you just said that they will release it in 2021? No, no, they, they released it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was released in 2021, sorry. Um, which is a, a, it's a very kid-friendly MOBA, but also when you play it as an adult, it feels like you're stomping on children, which doesn't feel great. <laughs> Does that mean you have to play it like on the internet like you're just like paired up with strangers and then those strangers are usually kids you're paired up with strangers and those strangers are usually children and you Ugh. you you when you play against them <laughs> it's very easy to be the top player in the game yeah like that's no fun <laughs> it's a little fun <laughs> no it's no fun it's a little bit fun if i was editing this episode i would just delete your opinion <laughs> <laughs> okay i guess some people think it's fun. it's fun well when you actually get a decent match it's fun like a decent match with decent people anyway that's why i'm so oh my god <laughs> but it's fun to stomp oh no, poor kids <laughs> poor children they have no idea what they're doing Anyway, <laughs> so MOBAs are super fun. Well, they can be super fun. Um, they're extremely complex, and they, they let you get hours and hours of entertainment if you let them. But they also are very toxic, but, you know, that's, that's kind of gaming in general. I say that as a gamer, gamer boy. Um, anyway, um, I wanted to know a little bit more about MOBAs, and now I do. So that's MOBAs kind of in a nutshell. 
uh, yeah, so if you have any questions, I'll, uh, I've got five minutes for <laughs> question and answer <laughs> session. Yeah, I have a question. <laughs> yes, go on. When you complain about the community being toxic, did you ever stop to think that people who want to stomp on children might be toxic? Um, yes. And I have, I fully admit that I have had spouts of really bad toxicity, especially when I played, especially when I played Overwatch. I, I, I was the, you can ask some of my friends, there was a, a, like a good third of a year that I was just like pissed off constantly. Like people would get short answers from me. Like I was so pissed off because I was playing this game so much. That sounds and so unhealthy. It was. I hated life at that point. Oh <laughs> Overwatch God. is the worst game in the world. I hate that game. We're going to get but sued that's beside. by Overwatch. No, fuck Overwatch. <laughs> They're already getting sued for sexual assault stuff. So, you know, that's that's besides the point. Isn't Blizzard really? too? Yes, that's Blizzard. That's Blizzard is Overwatch. Uh-huh. Oh dear. Yeah, they're uh, they're in, they're up shit's creek right now, which I kind of regret making that our starting point. But anyway, they got bought by Microsoft, which is hopefully they can only up. go up yeah. from here. Yeah, it can really only go up from here. It's so shocking, like how violent or verbally violent, I guess, and aggressive people can get when playing video games. Like some of the sometimes you see those um, like compilation videos of just people losing it. To, to random strangers on the internet when something doesn't go right in MOBAs. And it's like, wow. Yeah, in MOBAs and anything. It could be yeah. literally anything and people Just lose people. it. Just people. We've got, I don't know, like, have humans always had this shorter fuse or is it getting worse? <laughs> Who knows? Let us, let us know if you're a psychologist. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because you're, you're forcing strangers into a, into a very, very, very competitive atmosphere. And then if one person messes up, it's very easy to dogpile on them. And so it becomes very toxic because it's just like, you're so high stress that you, I mean, we call it being sweaty. Um, <laughs> if you're, if you're playing really hard, you're being sweaty. sweaty. Um, if, if you're playing so hard that you like you don't want to mess up, you're under so much stress that it's just like it becomes so unfun that it's just so easy to like kind of you know strike out at people and and blame them for things. So it's very I, toxicity makes sense when you look at it that way, but it sucks anyway. So it's 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 kind of the nature. So it's just of it. a high stress situation with like a lot of groupthink going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if this happens in actual battlefields, like in actual combat, if the camaraderie does fall apart if someone makes a mistake, or is it the opposite where they stick together more and they support person like people on like uh, not not mistakes, but anything that could be deemed as you know a mistake. Maybe they support them and logic them through it. I think it's a little different. I think it's a little different because on the battlefield, uh, like I'm talking like I know, uh, <laughs> but I think you actually like know the people around you versus being complete strangers. You have more empathy and you can actually see them versus like this is just a screen. You know, it's you, you don't have it. You know, you don't have any empathy for that person. At least I don't. No, that's a, oh my that's God. a great point. So with Drew admitting to not having empathy on screen. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Drew. I love that we got to learn a little bit about how toxic you are, but also a little bit about yes. <laughs> the history <laughs> of, I, I don't know, this is this kind of history is um, something I, I truly don't think about because I consider it to be very modern. Um, and so it's just very cool to see, like, for example, I never knew mm. that it was just, 
users who were making just riffing off of this like motif or this map style that created yeah. these like really mm -hmm. well-known games like Dota, for example. Yeah. I truly never knew that was the history. Yeah, it's just modders. Modders, uh, modders did modders it. Modern. Modders modern. Modern, 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 modern. <laughs> well, my topic has basically <laughs> nothing to do with this. <laughs> you know what? I will say, I think that the common thread between, or the bridge between your topic and mine is that I also was kind of clickbaited um, based on my personal hobbies and interests. That's what got me interested. So I said that I was going to talk about levies, but the reason I got to levies, the penultimate page I got to, is a drawing room. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. So. Like an old fashioned Victorian drawing room. It is very, it is in fact so old fashioned that it goes back to the Renaissance, the concept of a drawing <gasps> room. And oh, wow. so cool. my hobby, just like I was telling you guys um, just long, not too long ago, um, I love sort of 17, 1800s literature, a fuck ton. I love all literature, but <laughs> um, I'm a huge nerd for the Bronte sisters and things that are around that era. And one of the things that constantly comes up in novels like this is they retire to the drawing room. And it is one of those things that I just pretend I understand. I pretend I know what that is, but I have no fucking clue what a drawing room is. <laughs> I just assumed it was like a man cave. Okay, no, so I always thought that it just happened to be the place where they keep their easels and art supplies, like that they just draw in there. <laughs> Yeah. It, no. it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so a drawing room in modern terms is essentially a living room. It morphed into the modern day living room. Oh, that's so much less exciting. It is. And it, what's funny is that a drawing room is kind of like a slang or abbreviation term for the withdrawing room. Oh, okay. Oh. And what it actually means is, let's say you have, you know, let's say maybe you're in like 1800s uh, London society and you have like a really uh, banging dinner party, whatever. <laughs> and you're like, we just ate really good food. The servants are taking care of the part we don't care about. What are we going to do next? And um, the ladies would withdraw to an adjacent chamber and then the tablecloth would be cleared and, you know, various other uh, accoutrements on the table. And brandy would be served to the men with their cigars. They talk politics at the table and the women are in another room and they don't have to sully themselves with the dealings of the real world. They don't have to, they don't have to deal with the bullshit of their drunk husband. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> so maybe you, maybe this kind of routine is a little bit familiar in really old novels that you've read where people withdraw to a particular room after dinner and then they go and hang out and socialize there. That's what a drawing room is. That is so cool. I never knew. And what I loved is in the wiki article, um, they say in the 16th to 18th century, this is where the owner of the house his dog or distinguished guests would withdraw for more privacy. <laughs> oh, <my> <laughs> <dog>. <laughs> um, so that's, that is kind of where uh, the drawing room or living room sort of concept comes from. But I promise to talk about levies. So 
in 18th century London, and I believe most often France, so a levy in uh, in the full glory of its um, accent marks is <laughs> is a word that has an accent mark on one of the E's. There's three E's in the word. And um, <laughs> it's short, but it's just L-E-V-E-E. And one of them has an accent. It's a French word. So I'm going to get into the French history of what a levy is. Okay. But another meaning for a drawing room, or particularly a levy, is that room outside of the bedroom or part of the bedroom where you make your first appearance for the day if you are nobility or royalty. Oh, okay. okay. So it was difficult for me, full disclosure, to differentiate between... Like, when is it the the drawing room, meaning like after dinner party? And when is it like I'm waking up and getting dressed? Um, the wiki article is not very clear about that transition or that part of the history. So the way that I interpret this is that um, these are at the core of it. A room for entertaining private guests, <laughs> but but I'm gonna get into what that means. So there's the after dinner aperitif of of the uh, guests in in one room, and in this interpretation and in the the deep history of the drawing room, I'm gonna actually focus a little bit more on the room that is connected to the bedroom where you wake up, get dressed, and entertain some private guests. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious because I'll make a note here. Uh, my original topic for this week was deeply inappropriate, and we are saving it for Patreon material. <laughs> <laughs> so that will be Alice After Dark. My Greek genius was like, I am inspired by inappropriate things right now. So I still landed on something a little bit naughty, which is a levy. We wouldn't want it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not intentionally naughty, I'm just going to insinuate that it is. Um, okay. So mostly this is this is French history, and it applies mostly to the royalty. And so you may have seen this in, in I think, more pop culture references to, like, Versailles. We're going to talk a bit about Versailles, but kind of the idea that just everything about the king is so magnificent and holy and important that, like, even the process of him waking up and getting dressed has to be, like, a full-blown <laughs> affair, right? has to be a thing. Oh my God. It has to How be an exhausting. event. It, yeah, it's very um, <laughs> exorbitant. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm actually, before I get into the deep history, I wanted to see the, the wiki article for a levy kind of breaks it down into different countries, what they do um, in this in this chamber or what those, um, I guess, rituals, so to speak, were like. And I thought it was interesting that there was an American section. And I was like, when the fuck do Americans ever use a room like this? Or when did we ever have such a like pomp and circumstance around getting dressed? So what's funny is that um, using both terms, I guess, I guess maybe this this is more of the take of the uh, or a blend of, of a drawing room and a levy. But apparently right around the time of this, the Revolutionary War, uh, Washington and, and Martha, so George Washington and, and Martha actually had people come over just like random ass people, like public people, just come over to their house and like hang out in a parlor just to be like relatable and like show that that they <laughs> they're just like, hey, come chat for an hour. Tell me what your problems are as the American people. Oh my God. Can you imagine if that happened now? Yeah. It, it, well, so what's funny is um, Washington did this 
Adam did this, the second president of the United States, and then Jefferson ended it. Oh, he's such a joy killer. <laughs> <laughs> so it ended very quickly. It ended um, very, very soon. And I wonder if that had to do with like old world traditions that they were kind of rebelling from around the time of the Revolutionary War. But I thought it was interesting that Americans very, very briefly did this at the beginning of our nation's history. I couldn't find anything on Australia. I did look. Uh, so I'm sorry, Sarah. <laughs> we are not as cultured. Um, <laughs> it is also a baby country. In comparison to old, old British. Yeah, we are such a baby country because really, yeah, a lot of those traditions had kind of passed by the time Australian cities were being built and populated. Yeah, and you guys were kind of first populated by by rogue types that maybe would not have done this <laughs> anyway. <laughs> done it, yeah. Yes. But the history of a levy, the earliest history, at least in the wiki article, begins in the 700s. Wow. Yeah. So Charlemagne of France did this with his friends. <laughs> he invited his he, <laughs> just his buddies. He invited his friends to come over and watch him get dressed. Like that, that's crazy. If you invited me over and was like, hey, come watch me get dressed, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I have to sleep. <laughs> Well, I wanted oh. to ask, I wanted to ask, when you guys wake up in the morning, before you get out of bed, what is the first thing you do, realistically? Oh, probably check my phone. Yeah, what do you, okay, same. You open Twitter. Oh, yeah, I probably open Twitter, or I, yeah, I look at, you know, check, check, make sure the world's not burning down completely. And then I, yeah. just, I get a cheeky, like, maybe 10 pages of the book I'm reading <laughs> in before I have to, like, force myself out of bed. So this tradition is 1300 years old that is not charlemagne was exactly the same way you want to check in with your with your friends see what's happening he well he would invite his friends over not just to watch him get dressed like a pervert (laughs) but also to bring the day's discourse with them just like (laughs) hey you boy (laughs) what are people upset about today (laughs) And so he would quite literally invite people in to kind of just give both sides of a story or their sides of an argument. If it's people who were um, maybe higher up in nobility and they were having some kind of a clash with each other. And as he's like getting dressed, he would just give his final judgment on the case. He was like, you know, get all the gossip and then be like, Fred's right. And then move on with the day. Laying down the law. I kind of love that. Like, you know, just open Twitter, give an absolute opinion, and then everyone's done arguing, and then just off with the rest of the day. (laughs) Off with the rest of the day. Wow, humans are so bizarre, aren't we? We've been the same. We wake up and we're like, what's, is the world on fire? Just like you said. (laughs) Nothing too important. Okay, I'll move on. So fast forward now, uh, Renaissance era, 1530s. One of the big names of the Renaissance, the Medicis, obviously. Yes. I forgot or never knew that Catherine de' Medici uh, was like married to Henry II, like the, the oh. king. Uh, I didn't know that or realize oh, wow. that. I was like, yeah. So I didn't know that either. There are written records of <laughs> Catherine de' Medici telling her son, hey, you should continue this tradition like your father did, where you get dressed and you invite your friends over to watch you. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> But what was what she was applauding about her husband, about Henry II, was that he allowed anybody. I mean, I think that there had to be an invitation or some kind of uh, I don't think it was just like, all right, doors are open. Everyone, come on in. I think it was 
I think it was a little bit more stringent than that. But basically, the idea was that um, anybody from nobles down to servants, anywhere in the, the food chain, uh, you were allowed to come in and kind of give him your thoughts. And this did really good things for the public opinion of uh, Henry II. And his uh, son, like I said, continued the tradition. And, and it said for him specifically that he required invitations or, you know, you had to have an invitation to come watch and, and get a word in at the start of his day. But I mm. think that that kind of echoes in the American tradition getting this like favorable political opinion like hey i'm just one of the the normal people you're watching me get dressed like i put my pants on same way you do <laughs> yeah just with like three <laughs> servants helping you pull them up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i am so glad you said that <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're gonna get there what were you gonna say though i was gonna say how long did this whole charade like go on for like was it hours spent or was it a quick 20 minute dressing tell me your issues and then get out i i don't have the exact times just from the wiki article but i am positive that is like attainable information um especially at versailles which i'll i'll mention in, in a second but i get the sense that it was probably either a drawn out process or a stressful process because they made sure to mention that uh this did not continue in that family line the one uh, like mm-hmm. henry that yeah. i was just bringing up uh because <laughs> because king philip v of spain oh sorry this is uh okay i'm jumping ahead a little bit it wasn't in the henry line it was in louis the 14th which is versailles the the guy who lived in versailles his grandson philip v of spain specifically tried to spend all morning in bed so that he could avoid everybody bothering him. <laughs> i also identify with this when i feel like when i feel like really already defeated in the morning and i don't really want to get out of bed because i don't want to check my emails and see what's happening and all that jazz right i so feel this that is the exact equivalent of not wanting to check your emails in bed is i don't want the whole fucking town coming in and telling me all their problems the minute i get out of bed so the grand finale i think uh to really top us all off is to go into the mid 1600s early 1700s louis the 14th of versailles and i've talked about versailles before um in earlier episodes and so I'll recap a little bit that's pertinent to this image Mm -hmm. I want you to have, which is that Versailles was not only extremely lavish, but it was huge and everything was an occasion. Everything was a big deal and participation was compulsory because if you just try to take the most toxic social magnifying glass you can think of, like, you know, was it high school where you cared what everybody thought about you or middle school or college or your job or currently (laughs) (laughs) and just like really ramp that up that's versailles and i I think i've told you about this before where it's like one of those things where if the king sneezes and you don't act like the world is ending because he might be sick then you don't love the king enough and everybody's gonna judge you it was very toxic it was more toxic than dota in versailles i would wager (laughs) everybody's trying to outdo each other 
everybody's trying to outface each other, outperform each other. It was very, very over the top. And part of the reason Louis XIV did this is because he wanted all of his nobles to hang out in Versailles, stay in Versailles, and not get involved in politics. So the entire thing was a drawn out distraction technique so that he could continue doing whatever the fuck he wanted. That is so cheeky. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like this is a very a trump-esque it really is it's like make make a distraction over here distraction over there and do it by (laughs) you're essentially like full-time bribing these people you're saying like you are going to live in my palace with me i'm gonna make sure that you have the most opulent lifestyle possible but it's all just a huge distraction a huge ruse and you know what do bored rich people do they just hyperfixate on appearance or, you know, do things that just don't actually matter and put a lot of like meaning into them, like buying monkey NFTs. <laughs> this is just <laughs> so this is this is essentially what's happening in Versailles. I've mentioned the Goncourt brothers who left these immaculate journals and diaries of just the day to day goings on in Versailles, which is why we have so much information about Versailles. So King mm. Louis XIV's levy was very well documented. And did some saucy stuff happen? Well, <laughs> I don't, I'm sure that there was, and I kind of regret not digging deeper because I'm sure that there could have been things like he farted and everybody had to like comment on it. Like, you know, like I, I bet there was shit like that. I should follow up. <laughs> mm, mm, um, delicious. <laughs> oh my. Your, your grace, best one yet. <laughs> but um, I, I found it just very, very funny. Uh, I'm going to describe to you what it was, and and you'll see, you'll see why I was so entertained. So it was nothing short of elaborate. There were two basic main parts. There was the grand levy and the petite levy. So the grand levy was the beginning and it would be 8.15 in the morning and he draws the curtains in his bed. And I'm going to make a little side note here that sometimes he would actually just go out and hunt before the levy and then just like sneak back into bed because this thing probably (laughs) took a really long time. (laughs) So 8.15, I'm up. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) he sits up in bed and the nobles come in and the wiki article specifically said you could purchase admission or purchase a slot in this, in the grand levy. So I love that you could buy admission to this completely underwhelming event. event. Yeah. (laughs) So he sits up in bed and he's wearing his little nightshirt. And a short wig. He's wearing a fucking wig to sleep. Sits up in bed. And the chief gentleman of the bedchamber, this was a highly prized role, comes over and pours him some holy water to start his day. To drink? I think it didn't say, but I like think so. I don't know. Wow. I, d- I thought that was like sacrilege to drink holy water. Maybe you're meant to. Maybe it was to bless him with. I don't oh. know. Maybe just bless himself. Yeah, just, maybe. Just splashing on him. A little splash, splash. <laughs> Wake up. Yeah, just a little spritz. A little spritz to freshen your... <laughs> a little spritz of holy water. <laughs> so he... So, chief gentleman, thank you. Thank you of doing that. Uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you of doing that. <laughs> then, the master of the bedchamber 
and the first servant, both very prized roles yet again, high nobility, each come over and hold one sleeve of his shirt. (laughs) (laughs) They gently remove his shirt. And what a spoiled boy. (laughs) What I love about this is then the chief gentleman of the bed chamber comes over with the king's shirt for the day. But the wiki article made note that it had either been shaken out or changed because the king, quote, perspired freely. Ooh. <laughs> so I think he just takes this sweaty ass <laughs> shirt, say what I wore yesterday, <laughs> comes over and, and gives it to the king. And the king himself was very uh, well known and praised for being self-sufficient. And Could he put a shirt on? <laughs> he put his own shirt on. He dressed wow. himself. And wow. at, at this time, while he's starting to, to kind of dress himself, um, <laughs> specifically, people would give very short remarks that, again, I'm not making this up. This is not my artistic license. They had rehearsed. So whatever small thing that they're going to relay to the king <laughs> had to be short, snappy, interesting and important. And they would have rehearsed it several times beforehand to tell him while he's putting on his clothes. And so they're watching him put on the clothing. They watch him and then they retire to say a prayer specifically for him for that day. God, what an awkward beginning to your morning. <laughs> well, that was that was the grand, the the grand levy and then the petite levy or the premier yeah. levy followed. So it gets worse. Okay. Could you buy tickets to the premier petite levy or is this like an invite only situation? So I think I'm going to speculate that it must have been possible because this is where we start to let in more and more people who are not as high oh, nobility. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, so it's not so petite. It's not. No, no. But I guess maybe that's <laughs> like kind of throwing shade because it's like, oh, you're a little less important. Like, oh, you're you're petite compared to the people uh. who were invited. Um, as he's dressing himself because he is so independent, like really proud. <laughs> Um, they would start to let in small groups of people trickling in so that by the time his stockings and shoes were on, everybody was packed into the room staring at him. And at this point, they start to let in women and through some kind of, quote, cramped back door, they let in the legitimate and illegitimate children alike and all of their spouses. So all the goddamn women and children are just packed in along all the other nobles staring at this God-given king uh, just what are you gonna wow. do now these rooms must have been huge yeah i kind of i'm glad you say that because i was just imagining it was a normal sized room and people were just really packed in <laughs> it could have been i think it's more comical if they were all packed in and he, yeah. the king's like trying to put his shoes on like oh oh excuse me excuse oh sorry i just need to bend over oh oh yeah. sorry thank you <laughs> and it's just a little kid in the back's like papa Papa! <laughs> like, no, no, remember, I'm your secret papa. Secret papa. Well, what's funny is that, so this is like, you know, kind of basically the end, and then they all, I think, proceed to like an antecedent chamber, antecedent chamber? They, they, you know, they leave the room basically after this. And I think what's funny is that at this point, the king starts to kind of interact with people a little bit more. And uh, Louis the Fourteenth. this was actually controversial, which is amazing. If they worship somebody enough that they are like, each two people are taking his shirt off. It's kind of amazing. Anybody 
would speculate any kind of controversy about the king, God forbid. But people were actually kind of taken aback that he publicly recognized, this is great, he publicly recognized his illegitimate children and publicly made them legitimate. Wow. He was like, I realize that you... That's so nice of him. Compared to the... Like, because you hear of so many men in history who are just like, (laughs) bye. I mean, that's true. I kind of see it as a flex of his power. Like... I'm so above the law. I'm so above social norms. Like, I am absolute. I can do whatever I want. And I'm just going to point to you and say legitimate. Yeah, yeah. This is my offspring. (laughs) Legitimate. Legitimate. (laughs) And so what I liked about this, this would be kind of my parting image, is that, you know, as people are kind of filing out to to go about the rest of the day, he's kind of going through and, you know, more people are, are getting to give their rehearsed comments to him and stuff. And he will specifically go over to his favorite children and give them instructions for the day and then just let them (laughs) off so it could be that your own father just passes you right by for for his favorites and just you know doesn't look at sally but timmy go do well in your studies today timmy (laughs) (laughs) so that uh the idea of a levy in in summation is a a sort of private room or place, although it doesn't seem very private. I think it is meant to be private and intimate, but is actually for public entertaining. That is kind of the idea of a levy, and I guess more broadly, the idea of a drawing room uh, through the different centuries, I guess, through the centuries of history, all the way from seven, 700s to 18th century. That is amazing yeah. i have no idea that this happened in the morning that is incredible and i'm so wow. glad it doesn't happen now i'd be even more late to work i don't know i'd i'd like to get some news in the morning have my friends show up like, hey <laughs> yo you boy what's the discourse You know what I found super interesting is that there was just a tiny bit of information about women's levies. And of course, these were way, way more popular. But it reminded me so much of um, like the popularity of like YouTube videos or TikToks of like women doing their makeup. Like get ready with me. Yes. Like, yeah. Getting ready or like makeup tutorials or doing hair. So because a woman's morning routine, like a a aristocratic woman, her morning routine would have been really elaborate. Like, okay, and we need to style the hair. We've got so many more complicated pieces of clothing. We've got makeup. I would have thought that this all would have been taboo. But no, like like uh, mixed gender audiences would come and watch uh, women's like aristocratic levies, watch them like put their makeup on. So the idea of watching makeup tutorials on YouTube goes as far back as like <laughs> centuries ago. Oh, I love that connection. That's good. That's good. That's a great connection. <laughs> we have just all we've been we have been fascinated with fashion and appearance for a long time i think my goodness we so have and i feel so guilty because i love watching those get ready with me videos while i get ready in the morning and just hearing them chat (laughs) it's very much like that it's very much like watch me style my wig watch my servant style my wig (laughs) and watch watch my other servant powder my nose and (laughs) yeah yeah, humans don't change, I think, is the moral of the story. But the name of the drawing room does. I love that. Humans don't change. Drawing room does. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, that was that was it. And um, sorry for being a little bit inappropriate, but a little bit voyeuristic. No, I don't think that was inappropriate. <laughs> Definitely more <laughs> mild than the other one. That was <laughs> that, a little more. Such a f- <laughs> tame, tame compared to the Alice After Dark specials <laughs> that we're going to get. <laughs> So, Drew, Sarah, how grateful are we to everybody who spends time with us? <laughs> we are very grateful. Very, very grateful. So grateful. We can't even express it in words, but we can express our love in smooches. <laughs> you know who gives the best smooches? <laughs> <laughs> you know it. You know it. So we we decided, by which I mean me, spur of the moment on Twitter and didn't tell Drew, that if you leave, any kind of review or rating could be on iTunes, could be on Spotify, whatever. Take a screenshot and tag us in it. Either go ask Alice Podcast on Instagram or go ask Alice Pod on Twitter. And you get a special smooch from Drew. Mm, there we go. Okay. Warm those lips up. Get ready. <laughs> so, only farms on Instagram and SD1337 or SDLeet on Twitter. We want to say thank you and we want to give you a little smooch. So, happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> there you go. There's your little smooch. <laughs> for Aww. both of you. <laughs> Thank you for hanging out with us, you guys. Aww. And the smoochy door is always open. So come hang out and come send us your reviews so that you can make our day. And then we'll make yours again with Drew Smoochies. <laughs> that was such a gentle one. Back to the show. All right. Back to the show. Okay. So I think... Lindsay's topic goes very nicely. It leaves me a nice little little allege to jump off into my topic because we kind of ended in the 18th century or the 1700s um, chatting about how this kind of died out in um, the idea of a levy or watching people get dressed kind of died out in the early American <laughs> establishment. Um, and since then, it's not really a thing. <laughs> So I would like to take us back to the 18th century or the early 1700s uh, to talk about the miraculous rabbit births uh, and holy shit balls, guys. Okay, <laughs> here we go. I can't wait. So uh, we're going to start our story by following the life of a lady called Mary Toft. Um, she was born in English. Uh, in in English, she was <laughs> she. She was born in England uh, in 1701 and she was part of uh, what would be considered a peasant family or not as wealthy family um, because back in the 1700s the wealth divide was just impeccable, the not impeccable, was, um, the wealth divide was just absolutely insane compared to, compared to what we think about wealth divides these days. It was even greater back then and much more um, division within different societies, um, different classes in different societies. So she grew up in Surrey in England, a big working community and working town where there was lots of farms and lots of agricultural work to be done. And so I thought I'd give you a little bit of a vibe check around what was the dealio with the 1700s um, and what what it might have been like for her back then. So 
It was super duper crowded. So London went from a population of about 500,000 people at the beginning of the 18th century to over a million at the end of the 18th century. So hundred years doubled. Big jump. Yeah, doubled its population. And that's just London, not to mention all the outskirts cities and towns. So, Where did these people come from? Oh, people were popping them out left, right, and center. This is when you had lots and lots of children. Because, again, I mean, they could now kind of afford... It was easier to keep people alive because the main diet for non-wealthy people was potatoes and bread and lots of carbohydrates. Meat was more scarce and quite expensive, but they kind of had that ability with wheat and with farming to grow large amounts of produce to keep more and more people alive and fed um and there was more work to be done because they kept having like kept being more people to feed so this was also the beginning of the industrial revolution Mm -hmm. so machines started to come in and take people's jobs so all of a sudden you now have about mid 18th century a lot of jobs have been lost to machinery so people are even poorer than they were at the beginning of this of this time and they're really fighting to try fit into society and find a place to work um and i thought this was fascinating so so people were having babies like crazy really really they were having babies like rabbits going at it i was gonna say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah they were lots of so it's not uncommon for families to have upwards of seven to 15 children like many 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 yeah so many times because here's here's a kicker so this is giving birth to those children um for every thousand children born 500 would die before the age of two in the early 18th century oh my god so you might have a lot of children, but not many would actually make it to adulthood. Oh, that's tragic. It is really tragic and really sad. And just a little perspective of what, you know, some of the mindsets that, you know, would have been going on. And remember, this is back in a time where n- not only did they not know depression was a thing, but postnatal depression was certainly not understood or considered. Mm. Um Yes, and this is also the time where, you know, people legit thought you could have, like, ghosts in your blood. So, like, remember, we've got an open mind here. Medicine was a little iffy. So, (laughs) (laughs) we're taking it back to our our lovely friend, Mary Toft. So, in 1726, so she's about 25 years old, and she is pregnant with her fourth child already. Um, Unfortunately, she lost that pregnancy with about a month and a half to go. So, it was a late-term miscarriage. So, trigger warning... Um, you know, we will talk about miscarriage a little bit here, but she, she unfortunately lost that child and had miscarried and, um, had seen a doctor about that because with, with that type of miscarriage, you do have quite a lot of blood clotting and things that are happening inside you. Anyway, so this happens and she tells this story that she was, um, working in the field. So again, so she's very heavily pregnant, but because jobs were so scarce, money was so scarce, you had to do the work that you needed to do. So a lot of the time, pregnant women would be working um, quite manual labored jobs until they gave birth. Um, so really... Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And this is also kind of contributed to why so many miscarriages happened, because if there's a lot of manual labor, there's lots of opportunities for accidents to happen with either hitting the stomach or 
just pure exhaustion, not enough nutrients um, for the body to, to reject the pregnancy and say, I can't, I'm not strong enough for this anymore. And, and so that is what basically happened with Mary. And she was working in the field and she started to have these violent contractions. And she said as this started to happen, she saw a rabbit bounce along. So that, that happened very sad. However, this was in August, in early September, her neighbour was called because Mary was screaming and had seemingly gone back into labour. So even though she's had the miscarriage, she's had a midwife come yeah. and go through the fact that she was no longer pregnant, nothing was happening, um, she'd lost the baby, she appears to be in full-on labour. And her neighbour, who was like, oh my goodness, like we've got to try to help her. So he watched on, he was trying to help as she was having these violent contractions. Uh, as she gave birth to several animal parts. The neighbor took the pieces uh, to his mother-in-law. So they clearly not human. They were, they looked like animal parts. And he's like, wow, what is this? And that neighbor happened to have a mother-in-law who was a well-known midwife in the town. So he's like, oh my goodness, we need to figure out what's happening. Like you're still in pain. I'm going to take them to my, my mother-in-law. So he took him to her and she was like, what the fuck is going on here? He had arrived with three legs of a tabby cat. What? And one rabbit. And one rabbit Ex leg. Excuse me? Excuse me? Excuse me? Yes. Yes. So he had arrived with animal legs and parts. And so the midwife was like, Jesus Christ, what's happening? Okay, so they all rush back. The same night, she appears to go back into labor. More body parts are being expelled from, from her. So again, I think there was another cat leg and then there was more rabbit legs. And then this time there was rabbit um, organs that were coming out that were not enclosed in a body. And so okay. uh, they started to write about this in the local town paper and it started to, word by mouth, started to go around very quickly in the next couple of days. Like, oh my goodness, this woman, she's had, she's had rabbits, um, like she's had rabbit babies because this happened 17 more times. What? No. Yes. 17 more times over the course of this story. She what? had some form of a rabbit leave her body which looked like the form of a birth because they had midwives tending to her and they even had men with midwives i mean that they also had doctors i don't know why they called them a man midwife you can be a midwife if you're a man but you know whatever <laughs> um but they had all of these medical professionals tending to her and saying yeah like her cervix is um is dilated like she's clearly giving birth to these these just weren't hidden up there like there is something happening so this story so widely spread and this is the time of mad king george the first in england um little loopy will probably touch on him in another topic one day i'm sure because he was a wild ride but basically nosy george he's like okay i want to know what's happening what <laughs> is happening george. yeah <laughs> Cur curious george over here <laughs> um, so he's like, okay, what the hell is happening? Let's send, let's send down some court people. Let's send down some doctors. Um, I want you to figure out what is happening. So um, he sends down some people to try and investigate, and they witness her again deliver several parts of a rabbit. This time there was a rabbit torso, um, and it looked like there was lungs in it. So they wanted to test whether the lungs had ever breathed air. And apparently back in the ye old days, um, you could 
well, I mean, I don't know if this is actual science or not, but they used to float lungs in water to see if they had ever taken in air. So Mm -hmm. they had gone away to like, uh, I guess like a pharmacy or some type of medical workstation in the town to try to do these experiments on these parts to figure out had they ever been alive, um, you know, what is happening here. They go away. They come back that same night. Again, she is in labor, having violent contractions. The whole time, is she just laying in bed, like, contracting? Yeah, pretty much. Like, she must have been in so much pain. Comes back, and a rabbit's head pops out this time. Oh, and more more parts of a cat. Wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, they write back to Mad King George, and they are like, whoa, we think this shit is real. Like, we think this is a modern miracle like a a, a travesty of of the human body this is you know something is happening here however there's a famous surgeon um who is starting to be a little bit suspicious of what's happening so he convinces king george that he needs to go down and examine this woman because he's like no way no way this doesn't make any sense and he was quite suspicious of it but a lot of the medical professionals at the time had this idea that a woman could give birth to animal-like creatures and again this is back before they understood anything about modern medicine which we know now and if a woman had given birth or had miscarried a child with birth deformities um, they would often think it wasn't human Um, and it was their lack of understanding of what was actually happening oh so they were just like okay they were like if that's possible yes yeah and so there was there was rumors Mm -hmm. at the time you're gonna bloody love this rumors at the time that when you were pregnant or with child expecting you were not to look at any animal too endearingly because you might uh influence your child to look like that animal (laughs) okay so like don't don't stare at the dog too hard okay Um, all right (laughs) (laughs) i wish that worked we could be so much cooler no (laughs) (laughs) it's true but that was that was that was the rumor so some people believed it and there's some people didn't so this doctor rocks up to her little township and where she's staying and realizes that you know every time he talks to her she seems to be like crossing her legs quite hard and she's squeezing her knees together and he's like i think she's trying to stop something from falling out and he was concerned he's like are you are you in pain are you in labor again she's like nope nope nothing to see here nope and he's like okay this is suspicious so he takes back all of the animal parts to london for examination i remember at this time 17 different rabbits they think had come out in one form or another up to this point like all 17 have come out pretty much yes at this point at this point now all 17 have come out as well as many different looking cat things um there was a rumor of like an ox heart you know all sorts of things had come out and so he takes them back to london and back to his medical colleagues and they noted that on these these parts of the animals that had been expelled it appeared that there were man-made cuts in the bones and in in the flesh so they're like uh-huh. this does not feel like this does not ring natural to us so they talk to the king and he's now suspicious and and he thinks that they need to charge mm-hmm. her on forgery mm-hmm. um so they start to collect <laughs> testimony yeah i know i know <laughs> i know <laughs> Get this bitch off the street. She's forging babies. She's forging bitches burning shit. I heard perjury, so I didn't realize you said forgery. 
Oh my god. Forgery. Yeah. Forgery. Anyway, so they're like, okay, so we're going to collect like written affidavits from people who um, are suspicious. So in the towns, they found many people who had said that they'd sold her husband and her sister in law rabbits and cats and, you know, bits of cuts of meat and all this stuff. And they started to get very suspicious. So they took her back to London and said that they needed to study her. I don't know whether she was under distress, like duress, like if she was forcibly taken back to London or if she agreed. Um, But they took her back to London to do some medical studies on her. And while she was under 24-hour surveillance, now in a medical hospital, nothing happened. There were no more contractions, no more Uh. more magic animals falling out her hoo-ha. Um, nothing was happening and the doctor was like okay I know how to get her to admit that something was wrong and he's like well you know your your stomach still looks very swollen um we're very worried that the rest of the animal parts might still be forming in you and you know I think we need to do surgery we might need to remove your womb and she violently objected because she wanted to have more children. Oh, shit. Um, violently objected and then came clean and spilled the yeah. beans. And it is exactly what you thought. She was sticking things up there. What's amazing is that that would still trigger contractions. Yes. So I have some reason why they think this is. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So when she had her miscarriage, because it was quite a late stage miscarriage, um, her cervix was already dilated to a certain point mm-hmm. and there was a, an easier access straight from the vaginal canal into the actual uterus where normally your cervix is, it, it prevents that. Um, it's quite tight normally. However, she had not only just put the animal parts into her vaginal cavity, she had pushed them past her cervix into her uterus. <gasps> and so these animal parts were in the uterus the uterus is incredible it knows exactly what's happening and if you know it when it realized that it's been implanted with the egg it starts to you know to form its its special uh, membranes and, and layers to protect whatever's in there but it also knows when there's foreign objects in there that uh, it needs to dispel or try to dispel and so the body was trying to rid itself of of these things because it knew it wasn't meant to be in there it was not natural it the it wasn't triggering the right hormones um just you know you, wow. you put a foreign what a brilliant organ yeah well really our body if you put a foreign object into our body it tries to reject it quite quickly um whether it be you've got like a splinter in your hand and your your hand gets swollen because it's trying to send more fluid to that area or even like organ donation your body can tell when the the tissue doesn't have the same type of um things that it should when it's and a it, forgery yeah <laughs> yeah so it, so your body knows that when your tissues are not are not um, self versus uh, non-self. Like, yeah, exactly. When they're not going to be like a happy little mix. And this is why when you have organ organ transplants, you have to take um, like anti-rejection um, drugs to help your body accept the new tissue and and make it think it is self. Um, yeah, so you can imagine there is bits and bobs from rabbits, cats, and we wow. think oxes up there. Um, so it wants to throw them out. And it was. And so they think she was just... Well, they think whoever was instigating this kept putting it up there continuously after it had already expelled one it they would continue so everybody thought she was guilty but she kept saying that like she was made to do it 
and there's a lot of rumors and myths around whether she was kind of forced to do this by family and by friends for notoriety or I don't know what they thought they were going to get they didn't end up making any money off this and she ended up getting charged with I forget exactly what the charge was but it had like vile uh, vile actions in the wording of the charge so she could have been sent to prison <laughs> charged for being vile pretty much part like just <laughs> doing naughty things and she could have ended up in jail for a very long time but the charges ended up getting dismissed and she she went back to live her normal life until she ended up dying of um ovarian cancer but yeah that was that was a wild ride and it turned out to all be this like elaborate hoax of a miraculous rabbit birth whose idea was it we don't know so some people think it was all her and she was severely mentally ill at the time and probably suffering Mm. from hormonal imbalances and postnatal depression um and then some people think that it might have been a combination of that and kind of people taking advantage of her to get notoriety and to get you know attention to the family to the town um but we yeah wow that is so fascinating it is isn't it i just thought it was wild and also just absolutely it sparked a lot of controversy because there was doctors who were like yep this is legitimate this is legit she must have looked at a a rabbit she's now having rabbits um who lost their entire careers over it when it came out when she um took back everything she had said and said yes this is all a lie they lost their careers and ended up losing all their patients and a lot of them died basically um like in peasants in peasant situation because they had lost everything they had had um which i mean like i i don't think that they deserved that but at the same time like good that they could no longer practice on people <laughs> yes. yeah <laughs> practicing like, okay that was deserved you should not have i mean <laughs> uh, i that, that is unbelievable that that to me is like one of the clearest examples of like reality is stranger than fiction like how the fuck would anybody even come up with that that's why i want to know <laughs> whose idea it was like who came up with this i know isn't it just wild because it's something you would never or at least i don't think most people would ever consider as being like a fun hoax like there's a lot more things you could do that are less harmful to yourself and less um gross (laughs) painful painful not hygienic one bit (laughs) um oh no i i mean no i just i don't i just don't get it i just i haven't i have no explanation as to why it was done i'm just so confused (laughs) she would have had like the craziest uti like i thought you were going to be like she died of like an infected bladder after this she was very very ill and they think they like there was probably some type of infection and um like inflammatory inf- inf- yeah inflammation around her uterus and her cervix um yeah but she ended up getting better until she did end up dying of they suspect ovarian cancer again back in the day they could kind of tell um with autopsies um but i do think she had a lot of reproductive health for the rest of her like so many issues for the rest of her life do you know if she had any children after this no i couldn't find out if she had had any more children after this i would be amazed if she did that's what i'm thinking too like she probably really fucked up that opportunity or whoever was responsible like 
Yeah. She'd had 17 yeah. rabbits, so that's, that's a lot of children. <laughs> An extra huge thank you to everybody who's still here by the end of this episode. This was wild. <laughs> um, please come hang out with us, you freaks. Uh, we are at Go Ask Alice Pod on Twitter, Go Ask Alice Podcast on TikTok and Instagram. Um, we have an email address that I forgot and nobody checks. Uh, Drew is here to give smooches, and Drew just made his own Twitter, so see if you can figure that out. Mm-hmm. Go find them. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You got to find it yourself. And if Go you're find me. listening right now on uh, the iTunes sort of Apple way, it is su- right there, you hunk. It's right there to leave a review. You can just do it right now. Knock it off your to-do list. I don't know. Then you've made a stranger's day, I guess, if you did that. So you can leave a review. You'll get praise and kisses from drew and if you're on the spotify app just right there rate hit the five star or whatever star you want to give us we do not want to tell you what to think you can think your own thoughts but hit the stars and send it to us and drew will mention you in the next episode only if we know big old smooch yeah big old smooch (laughs) only if we know i mean if you could leave us a review and we don't we and we never know because you know i mean I just don't want anyone to feel cheated out of a smooch. They're pretty special. Pretty freaking special. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. And we love Cam from Twitter. Hey, Cam, we love you. We love you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Don't blow your poop load early.